0: Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Holy God, you put within us a desire to learn, a longing to understand, and a search for lives that matter. And we begin this academic year with both hope and gratitude for this place, St. Olaf College, where together we can learn and grow and for the legacy of scholars, researchers, artists, scientists, whose life and work enrich ours, and for your Spirit, faithfully calling us forward from knowledge to wisdom, from understanding to compassion, from curiosity about the world to loving it and caring for it, We are grateful for the gift and the promise of this new year, and we ask your blessing on us now and always. Amen. Please remain standing for the hymn.
1: seated. Good morning. Welcome to the opening convocation. I have the honor of introducing the SGA president, Wade Hauser, class of 09, from Des Moines, Iowa, a major in political science and environmental studies. Wade aspires to work for a social justice organization after he graduates, and he says that St. Olaf has deepened his understanding of the challenges the world faces and the immense complexities surrounding those challenges. St. Olaf, he says, has taught me to be self-analytical, broaden my outlook and values. Wade has been active in student government, served as the Larson Hall Senator, the Northfield Senator, before being elected president of the association. He's a participant in Project Friendship that pairs St. Olaf students with a child in the Northfield community. And he describes his 10-year-old buddy as the coolest kid in the world. Wade lives in the St. Olaf Disability Awareness Honor House that works to address campus disability concerns and that reaches out to people with disabilities. Last fall, he and four other students organized Hoops of Hope, a basketball shoot-a-thon fundraiser for orphans with AIDS in Zambia. He's in St. Olaf's chapter of Amnesty International, and he was on the Ole Spring Relief trip during his first year. As he begins his final year on campus, Wade says that his time at the college has been defined by the friendships he's made and the wide variety of subjects he's studied. I've taken classes, read books, and had discussions here that have redefined me in a lasting way, he says. I present to you Wade Hauser."
2: Thank you. For some of the audience, I would guess those with the robes, this is an opening ceremony that you've attended many times. For others, this is your first convocation and first year at St. Olaf. For each of us, this marks the beginning of a new and exciting year. When I got here three short years ago, I made a vow to myself that I'd be different than I was in high school. In college, I was going to be cool. Well, (laughs) this aspiration didn't stick. I didn't even make it past week one before someone overheard me singing in the shower, and I realized I would have to revert to my dorky ways. Fortunately, I learned that there's no one cool kid's table in the caf and no one way to excel. St. Olaf is a great place. My professors, friends, and activities allow me to find my niche and work towards the best definition of being myself. I've taken one path at St. Olaf that is drastically different from many others. I have friends who've traveled the world for a semester or worked in an orphanage abroad, sang in the choir, or published scholarly research. This array of achievement shows that despite what they may tell you in math class, college has no right answer. The longer I'm here, the more I realize that St. Olaf is full of impressive people and endless opportunities. So if I can offer a suggestion as we start this new year, It would be that whether you are a tenured member of the faculty, on the college staff, or a student, be open to all the great opportunities around you. Attend the many campus events that are as intellectual as the fall pack speaker, enjoyable as a student alumni event, or as invigorating as a dance in the pause. Get involved in this great place, get to know your neighbors, and let me know how I can help.
3: students, faculty, and staff, distinguished emeriti. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you today our speaker, Ted Johnson, Professor of Biology and the Paul and Mildred Hardy Distinguished Professor of Science. Ted and I were hired to teach at St. Olaf in 1977, making this the start of our 32nd year together on the faculty. During that time, our colleagues and I have witnessed the remarkable career of this dedicated teacher, scholar, and servant of the community. And we continue to marvel at Ted's extraordinary accomplishments. Anyone who has gotten to know Ted Johnson, even in a superficial way, realizes almost immediately that Ted is a teacher to the core. His students, following his faith and family, are his greatest love. And this fact manifests itself in almost everything that Ted does. When I speak with new faculty about their role at the college, I often advise them that when in doubt about something, they can usually discover the best course of action simply by asking the question, what will be most beneficial to my students at St. Olaf? I'm willing to wager that Ted Johnson asks himself that question on a daily basis, for his actions over the course of three decades bear witness to his great care and concern for his students and their love for him. Through his indefatigable work as chair of the Health Professions Committee, his formal and informal work as an advisor, not to mention his stint in the dean's, uh, Dean of Students Office, Ted has counseled and advised literally thousands of St. Olaf students in the sciences and beyond. Indeed, I imagine that Ted is probably the best protected faculty member at St. Olaf in terms of health care insurance, for he has certainly advised enough pre-meds who have now become specialists to cover virtually every known disease or ailment on the planet. In the best St. Olaf tradition, Ted's interests overflow beyond the confines of his discipline. He and Michelle have made the incorporation of a global perspective into their lives part of their existence, leading many St. Olaf terms abroad all over the world, as well as coordinating a number of medically related off-campus interims. Ted grew up on a farm. And in that environment, he learned how to pitch in and work hard. Those lessons have carried over into his life as a professor. If you need help, just ask, and Ted will roll up his sleeves, take on the task, get it done, and then expect no credit or glory for the work. Ted is a truly humble person who, as a scientist, is willing to learn by experiment, by trial and error. Illustrative of this point is a case years ago in which Ted's typical assignment in microbiology class literally blew up. He he routinely has his students make root beer to demonstrate the abilities and usefulness of yeast. While the prepared bottles were being incubated, Ted came into the lab over the weekend only to discover root beer flowing onto the floor from the incubator. About a quarter of the bottles had exploded because he had set the temperature too high. He cranked down the dial and went home. On Monday, when he opened the incubator, he found the rest had frozen solid and shattered. (laughs) The temp was too low. Having personally learned a good thermodynamics lesson on the effects of temperature on expansion and contraction, as well as yeast metabolism, I'm told that Ted's root beer now turns out perfectly on a regular basis. Colleagues, students, friends of St. Olaf, I can think of no one better to inaugurate our theme year on science and the liberal arts than Professor Ted Johnson. Please join me in welcoming him to the podium to address us today on the topic, students, new science building, and liberal arts.
4: President Anderson, Provost May, Student Government President Wade Houser, current and emeriti colleagues, students, parents, and friends of St. Olaf. I'm deeply humbled by this opportunity and grateful for the invitation to give this address as we start a new academic year. The theme for this academic year is science and the liberal arts. This address will give me the opportunity to reflect, to look backward and forward from a science perspective. When students hear science and the liberal arts, my guess many of you, immediately focus on the general education requirements outside of your major. I cringe when I hear a student say, I need to get rid of or I need to get out of some particular requirement. Hopefully my address will help you eliminate those phrases and look at new experiences, new opportunities, new opportunities that are ahead of you. In my career path, I was grateful many times for my liberal arts background. One example, when my advisor directed me to participate in a study where hepatitis virus was going to be inoculated into prisoners at Joliet State Prison, I had a lot of problems with that. I withdrew from the project after using my liberal arts base to articulate why I could not participate. After a marmoset monkey bit me in the face, I found my research model and had less problems working with that. (laughs) I want to focus my brief remarks on liberal arts and science, science students at St. Olaf, and the impact of the new science building. Thomas Holstetter, president of Lewis and Clark College, recently stated that what drives exploration and discovery in science are signatures of the liberal arts dynamic interactions between faculty and students, interdisciplinary inquiry, intellectual flexibility, and risk-taking. Within that context, let's examine science and the liberal arts, or as someone recently labeled it, intellectual cross-training. Humanities and science have a long history which has evolved and changed over time. Many in this audience, including the provost, are much more qualified to discuss the historical roots of liberal arts and science. Early in its evolution a wall was created by the humanities and scientific community separating science from humanities. C.P. Snow in his famous 1959 essay The Two Cultures Cultures and the Scientific Revolution discussed the split between science and humanities. The split has diminished somewhat but remnants still exist today. Artists need exposure to physics, and physics students need exposure to the humanities and to other areas of science. This summer, Jules Deinstock, Dean of Medical Education at the Harvard Medical School, in a provocative article in the New England Journal of Medicine, advocated that the liberal arts science courses taken by pre-med students should be altered so that the material covered is tied directly to courses found in medical school, and those courses should include relevant medical concepts allowing the medical schools to build directly in these courses at an advanced level. He went on, courses such as ethics should only be offered in medical school when students are ready to apply them. Now one of the fallacies with this proposal is that most pre-med students don't go to medical school. Contrast that way of thinking to that found in Lewis Thomas's Another Physician, his essay, How to Fix the Premed Curriculum, published in the book, The Medusa and the Snail. Dr. Thomas suggested that premed students should take very few science courses, with their course selection centering on Latin and the classics, with English, history, literature, philosophy, and at least two foreign languages being their curriculum. Interesting thought. So what is the value of science in the liberal arts? Brian Green in a New York editorial recently that was published this summer, which I'm paraphrasing, stated this, science is a way of life. Science is a perspective, a transformation for those lucky enough to experience it that involves collaborative learning that is empowering, emotional, and therefore life-changing. Or as as stated by Sherry LaPrice in a recent Chronicles of Higher Education article on why students should study science, she wrote, science provides opportunities for exploration, builds on the ability to understand and interpret data using inductive and deductive reasoning. Curiosity and creativity share scientific research and inquiry. Curiosity drives imagination while creativity drives innovation. One of the goals of a liberal arts education is to develop students who are technologically current and scientifically literate. Our problems require scientific literacy. Can we choose valued leaders and optimal programs if we are scientifically illiterate? Liberal arts graduates should be able to read a newspaper and understand it. And they should be able to locate valid scientific information when needed. Googling is not a scientific literacy. <laughs> science majors might heed science majors might heed George Lichtenberg's advice. He or she who understands nothing but chemistry does not truly understand chemistry either. So where do you find sciences at St. Olaf? A high school student, John Wilkes, said, if it blows up, it's chemistry, if it dies, it's biology, and if it doesn't work, it's physics. (laughs) At St. Olaf, science is not just found in a chemistry course or a biology course, but it may be found in a variety of arenas. Science can be the focus of an international program. For example, the term in Asia, a wonderful program includes a great course called Environmental Issues in China. Well, the Environmental Science in Australia semester has several science courses and many field projects. Today, Dave Van Wyland is teaching a course in water in the Middle East as he participates in the Middle East semester. Science is also found in a wide variety of interdisciplinary programs at St. Olaf, everything from environmental studies to neurobiology. A new exciting opportunity will be the science conversation which students initiate in the sophomore year at St. Olaf. I recommend you take a look at it. To me, the value of a liberal arts education for a science-oriented student can be seen in the past graduates who have pursued their passion integrating science, humanities, and extracurricular activities seamlessly. A few examples in no particular order and these are just incomplete bios with just a glimpse. John Hallberg, class of 1988, a chemistry major and a band member at St. Olaf all four years. Today he's an active musician, a prolific writer, a regular contributor to NPR, a physician for the Minnesota Twins, and a physician with an academic appointment at the University of Minnesota. This fall, he will be opening the Mill City Clinic, a unique approach to, a unique, a unique approach to healthcare care, using iPods and bicycles to interact with patients. Stephanie Lager, class of 2002, a dance and biology major. Today, she's a professional dancer, continuing what she started at St. Olaf, and a pharmacist in Minneapolis. John Ryden, class of 1983, a biology and English major, He started on a defensive line in football all four years and played jazz piano all four years. He also studied at Oxford. His major concern while he was a college student was that someone would step on his fingers so he couldn't play at a piano. He is a successful orthopedic surgeon. His fingers survived. He lives in Duluth, Minnesota, and after college, he participated in pharmaceutical sales, volunteered with an NGO, and did a research project in Norway. John Bolan, class of 1981, a biology and philosophy major. He conducted a summer research on, project on hibernation and 13-line ground squirrels at St. Olaf. Okay. And by the way, when he participated in the project, he told me we could not sacrifice or hurt any of them. So. Today, after an MDiv at Union and an MA as well as a PhD at Princeton, He is a professor of religious ethics at Princeton Theological Seminary. Julie Buckley, class of 1991, with a chemistry and biology major. She participated in the St. Olaf Orchestra and sang three years in the St. Olaf Choir. After medical school at Hopkins, where she played her violin all four years, she is chair of radiology at Stanford and still performs regularly. I could go on, in fact, I'd love to go on. But what do they and many graduates have in common? Their path at St. Olaf was not linear, but patchwork. Not a series of discrete steps, but a path reflecting a rich pattern of travel, a wide selection of courses in and outside of sciences, extracurricular activities, research activities, and risk-taking. One book I read this summer, A Whole New Mind, by Daniel Pink, which incidentally was recommended to me by John Halberg advocates a patchwork approach stating this, our jobs require multitasking, our communities are multicultural, and we live multi-lives. We need people who can think and work across boundaries. Or as E.O. Wilson put it, only fluency across boundaries will provide a clear view of the world as it really is. So why a new science building? Why is it needed? There's a real need for students to understand science and to work in an area of science to address the complex multidisciplinary problems facing us today. Problems such as global warming, the bird flu, or some other pandemic disease. HIV, AIDS, or the complex area of biofuels as an energy source are just a few examples. We need new approaches that are a result of collaborative, synergistic interaction across disciplines. Thomas Check, a Nobel Prize winner and past Howard Hughes Foundation president in an article in Daedalus, made an excellent course for the role of liberal arts college in providing a major share of today's scientists. Check advocates for a more open-ended science laboratory experience that are unpredictable, and he has documented the necessary role of research in a student's path in science. New and different space is needed, which is student-focused and student-centered to allow students to experience the process of science. Students need to learn how to think and to do science, not just the facts, but the process. Shini Naram, class of 1957, and the heart and soul of PCal, stated it this way, we can't put new projects in old wineskins. The new science building is a reality. In addition to the building, I must include the new partnership with the Nature Conservancy, involving the 600-acre Weaver Dunes, thanks to Steve Freeberg's leadership, and the leadership, and I'm sorry, and the restoration of the Saint Olaf Natural Lands surrounding the college. The Saint Olaf Natural Lands were initiated by Gene Baco and assisted by many different individuals. I would like to take this opportunity. And by the way, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission to do something, so I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. I'd like to take this opportunity to recognize Gene Baco, curator of the natural lands, for his unbelievable stewardship and hard work. Gene is in his last year at St. Olaf, and I would like to ask Gene to stand and be recognized. My biggest fear was that Gene was going to be out at the natural lands during this talk. <laughs> so what does the new Regent's Science Building provide? Here are some observations. Number one, an opportunity to have interdisciplinary approaches. Historically, our disciplines have been organized into silos called majors. The majors have been segregated by floor, in some case by buildings. In this new Science Building, faculty are spread throughout the building. Biology, for example, is on three different floors and two different wings. This should enhance interactions, collaborations, and allow us to focus on where our interdisciplines intersect. One example is the new chem-bio intro sequence, affectionately called chubby, where chem and biology are taught together by biology and chemistry profs. Number two. Most research spaces in the new building are collaborative and integrate faculty from many different disciplines around core areas in the same space. For example, I'm an immunologist. I share a research lab with a physical chemist, several biochemists, a cell physiologist, and a molecular yeast biologist. This arrangement should enhance crosstalk, interactions, with a real chance of synergy and collaboration. What a fantastic opportunity. Number three, classrooms and labs have flexible seating and a unique arrangement which should greatly enhance active learning. For once we'll be able to have discussions with movable clusters of students rather than fixed seats where students stare at the back of someone else's head. Discussions now can move from the classroom to abundant gathering areas with blackboards in and outside of the building. Yes, there are blackboards outside the science building. Innovative approaches to teaching will be possible, such as Charles Abenauer's plant morphology class, where lecture and lab are blurred, or the analytical chemistry class, where they use a chemical industrial plant model, where students take different roles in an industrial laboratory. New exciting possibilities are ahead. Number four, and all of us are excited about this, the building will be as sustainable and as green as possible. Not just a model, but a working example of what is possible. Innovations range from the green roof, to passive solar, to the collection of rainwater to water the plants, to the minimization of chemical wastes in our chemical and biology laboratories. I could go on, but let me end by inviting you to come see the building next week. Take a class in it. Occupy it. Make it yours. Find your space. I already have a couple of really neat ones picked out. And finally, don't just make it a warm passage from Larson to Old Main. First-year students to seniors. Start your journey. Pursue your passion. Find out what you enjoy. What excites you and see where it leads. Make your approach not a make your make your approach a journey not a treadmill thank you for this opportunity to address you
1: Thank you, Ted, for a wise and inspiring talk to propel us into the new semester. Please rise and sing from, from.
5: creator, gracious word, eternal spirit, be with you in wonder for this world and in joy for its gifts. Amen.